Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from the International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today, I have my colleague, Liesl Lovaldrin, on the show. Liesl is Crisis Group's senior advisor to the African Union. As geopolitical divisions mount, the AU is receiving more global attention than ever before. And we have Liesl on the podcast today to speak about the recent AU summit, the annual get-together of African heads of state, how the organization is performing, and how it can rise to meet the moment. Liesl, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you are a very long-time African Union watcher, and this was perhaps one of the more anticipated, if not most anticipated, African Union summits that we've had in a while. Uh, Why? Yes, it came after a year of intense diplomatic activity on the continent. You know, we've had so many meetings and webinars and discussions about Africa's position in this new global environment with the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion. Outsiders, especially Europeans, Americans have been watching Africa's um, positions, especially in the UN General Assembly and those votes. And so it was anticipated that this would be one of the topics at the summit this year. But actually, it wasn't um, so high on the agenda, but it was definitely, I'd say, the elephant in the room and the consequences of this uh, Russian invasion was definitely on the agenda. And was that evident at the summit itself in terms of the level of diplomatic attention it received from people outside the continent? Yes, it did. I mean, there were many outside actors. They are actually often uh, ministers, high-level delegates coming to the summit, lobbying, um, getting their position across. This year, it was it was the same. Um, but I think the um, African Union chairperson, the African Union Commission chairperson, in, in their statements tried to, or at least succeeded in, as I said, placing the focus on the consequences in terms of the economic impact of the war in Ukraine. Also, when it comes to, let's say, funding the African Union and African peace support operations, there is a level of anxiety that there would be less money and funding for certain projects than before February 2022. So it is a game changer, but it was almost, as I say, the elephant in the room and other things were discussed. There weren't really any robust statements or confrontation about who's for and who is against the the Russian invasion. I mean, there wasn't that moment where the African countries were placed in a corner, as they were at the UN General Assembly. And it's probably a good thing. I mean, this is the African Union summit, and there are peace and security issues. There are conflicts. As I said, there's funding of peace operations. One thing that really came forward very strongly was um, the UN Security Council, Africa's position in the UN Security Council, or the fact that it only has three non-permanent members, that was really something that I think got new impetus this year with the background of everything that's been going on. Because it's a recurring theme every AU summit, Africans wanting two permanent seats actually on the UN Security Council comes up every year. But this year, It's been really a strong theme. And then the uh, request from Africa to have a seat for the African Union on the G20, that was also something that was much discussed. 
Great. And those are those are themes that we have discussed a few times on the podcast in recent months. I'm just wondering on that topic, what's the emerging consensus, if there is one, on how exactly that would work? It sounds like in terms of the G20, it would be the, the African Union representing Africa, um, in addition to South Africa, which is already on it. But but who exactly from the African Union would would sit there? And then when it comes to the Security Council and the quest for a permanent seat, how would Africa decide who, who would sit in that seat as well? Yes, so with the G20, according to the draft decisions of the summit, the African Union Commission chairperson, Musa Faki Mahamat, currently, and then the chair of the year, which is the president, Asumani, from the Comores, will, chair, will represent the continent if it gets another seat or a seat on the G20, as you said, South Africa is already a member. And to be fair, at the G20, previous G20 meetings, the African Union Commission chairperson and several heads of state have been invited guests um, in the past. So it's not as if Africa was never present at these meetings. But with, um, I think, the quest for greater representativity for Africa, the kind of shift in the multilateral space where new spaces are opening up, uh, this has now become some a new, um, I would say, opportunity for Africa to have a seat, permanent seat uh, on the G20. And the UN Security Council, the official position of the African Union is the so-called Ezulweni Consensus, which means that Africa is asking for two permanent seats on the UN Security Council. Now, a lot of commentators have said, you know, rather go for one seat because there are so many other contenders, as we know, um, other countries around the world who would um, want to have a permanent seat if that kind of reform kicks in. And that's, it's not uh, clear cut, as you, as you know very well. But there has not been, from what I can see, any formal agenda item or discussions within the African Union of, let's say we get the two seats, who are going to represent Africa? And the whole issue of representativity and should we give big powers an, an opportunity to have a greater say in what happens even at the level of the African Union is something that is ongoing. I mean, would you have to then say, right, who are the biggest economies, South Africa, Nigeria, Egypt? Actually, currently, the countries that fund the African Union at a higher level than the others are those three and then Morocco, uh, Algeria also. So the big economies do somehow weigh heavier on the continent. But who would represent Africa is a very interesting issue. And there are divergent views. I once heard an African Union um, official saying, but it should actually be Tanzania and Zambia, and Zambia specifically because it helped in the liberation struggle of so many countries in Southern Africa, you know. So it could be other criteria, but what is very important, Alan, just to finish, is that um, Africa would like to have the prerogative to decide who would represent the continent if it would get such a seat. Hmm. Fascinating. Maybe part of the issue is they haven't been forced to decide because, of course, this the, the barriers to the UN Security Council reform remain quite high. But it, it is very interesting that the issue appears to be gaining some steam or at least some new impetus at this at this latest summit. Another issue that came up, as you mentioned, is the cost of debt for African countries. Understandably, African leaders you know, are quite angry that it costs 
their nations much more to access lending than especially richer countries. There's also a lot of talk of the need to reform the Bretton Woods institutions. Did we get a sense of where African leaders will be pushing on these matters in the coming year specifically? Yes. So the issue of Africa's debt, the what some call extortionate rights that are being asked for African countries for lending and the rating agencies, those issues that um, came up very strongly throughout 2022 when President Macky Sall of uh, Senegal was chairing the AU. So we had a number of extraordinary summits also held in Dakar where this was discussed. And I do think there's a lot of reflection that's been going on the reform of the Bretton Woods institutions has come up again and for a couple of years. And I think since the 1990s, when scrapping the debt was such a major rallying cry, um, we haven't really, we've seen the IMF and, and the World Bank retreat a bit from the continent, but that has now come back um, on the agenda because of the higher debt uh, of African countries. So that was a theme at the summit. We have yet to see exactly what kind of reform um, the African countries are proposing. Uh, we know that the BRICS grouping, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, are launching a new BRICS development bank, for example, almost as an alternative for the global south to be able to um, have other avenues for lending money. I think generally, there was a sense that the global financial system is unfair to Africa and there should be new ways. And I said one thing that President Makisal raised repeatedly was Africa should get its own rating agency because the rating agencies are unfair to Africa. But that's not yet something um, I think that on the cards for the short term in any case. So moving on a bit, I think, to some of the more... Um internal, internal to the continent issues. There's been a lot of focus on uh, whether or not the AU will basically continue to be able to hold the line against many of these coups that we've seen, especially in West Africa. Um, a fair amount of worry that the AU allowed an exception in the case of, of Chad, and, and if that would have consequence on what has been one of the successful firm principles of the African Union um, since its founding to reject these coups. Did, did we get a, Did anything important come out of the summit on this? And did we get a sense of which way the AU is going? Yes, I think there was a more conciliatory tone, I think, towards countries that are now suspended. A lot of talk of engagement with um, countries in transition, as these countries are termed. So it wasn't... I mean, there, there, there wasn't that strong condemnation, I would say. That did come in the form of sanctions. So against Mali, Burkina Faso and Guinea and then Sudan, all four countries are suspended. And I must say, Alan, when you look at the, the family photo of the heads of state, there are clearly some gaps because so many of them are suspended. Um, but the the issue of sanctions was mentioned by AU Commission Chairperson Musafaki Mahamat looking at maybe more effective sanctions. Now, there was some uncertainty about what exactly he meant. The African Union just suspends countries from the organization when there are coups or unconstitutional change of government. And as you say, there was the issue of Chad, which was an exception. But then in May last year, there was a summit in Malabo and there was a recommitment of heads of state to the Lome Convention of 2000 that rejects unconstitutional change of government. So we have to accept that African heads of state are 
still on board with the Loma Convention. But I think um, sanctions on the whole is something that's unpopular. But there needs to be, even within the AU institution, some kind of way of sanctions countries that do not adhere to the resolutions and the decisions that they themselves have taken regarding not only coups, but um, adhering to free and fair elections, democracy, etc. So he, Mustafa Muhammad actually kind of opened a can of worms there. But when it comes to coups themselves, I think there is a commitment of still sticking to the Lomai Convention. But we'll see. There have been the Commissioner for Political Affairs and Peace and Security, Ambassador Bankole, said in his press conference, actually, that there have been four attempted coups since last year's suspension of those countries. So we are still sitting with a threat of attempted coups and that, uh, you know, these instruments that the African Union have is, are not really dissuading militaries from at least trying that. And I think in terms of specific crises on the continent, one of the anticipated focuses and questions about what the AU would do was was on the crisis in the Great Lakes, which uh, we've talked about specifically mostly between the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda. Um, we've talked about it on the podcast. What did we see there? Part of the question was if the AU would, would step up to support this East African community force that is being deployed to Congo. So, so, so overall, what what happened with the AU um, and this question of how it would step in on the uh, in the Great Lakes crisis? Yes, it did. I mean, there was a decision uh, to support the East African force. That decision was taken by the Peace and Security Council at the level of heads of state on uh, the eve of the summit, chaired by President Cyril Ramaphosa, and. Um, that was confirmed by the Assembly during the summit that some of the money of the peace fund will be made available for the East African force. Now, that's interesting because that would really be the first time that we get some funding from the peace fund that is now close to $400 million, which was the aim of um, the African Union. But it looks as if, and that was confirmed by some officials, only $5 million at this point will be available um, for this uh, East African force. Now, as you know, peace support operations, this kind of military interventions are extremely expensive. So we'll have to see at least um, there's a kind of a co-commitment to a co-funding of the force. And probably the African Union could use that for more mediation and I think um, the recommendations by Crisis Group we uh, brought that we brought out just before the summit regarding the Great Lakes was, in a sense, um, adhered to because the the suggestion was that the African Union should step in in a space where there are so many initiatives, parallel initiatives. The DRC itself is a member of three regional economic communities. Uh, ECAS in Central Africa, the SADC in Southern Africa, the East African community, which had just joined recently. So there is really a role for the African Union in a space where it really hasn't been very active. I think this is what happened um, at the summit. And there was a sense of urgency because the Peace and Security Council gave the AU Commission just six weeks to release these uh, funds from the Peace Fund. 
Thanks. And I want to move to some larger issues on the African Union beyond just the summit here in a, in a second. But first, one sort of final question about this summit that, that a lot of our listeners are, are following closely, which is the, the conflict in Ethiopia and then the subsequent peace deal. Am I right in thinking that after the African Union stepped in and mediated this this peace deal in the past year, that Ethiopia has gone from a question that the African Union was sort of keen to avoid at the summit and has moved to a topic of conversation and, and self-congratulations? How did the AU address this Ethiopia question after all this hand-wringing that's been going on about how it would tackle or not tackle the crisis that we've seen in Ethiopia? Yes, absolutely. You're right. There was a lot of congratulation, actually, to Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, who was in the room when the main event of the African Union opening session took place, uh, congratulating him for making peace. Because, there, as, as you said, absolutely, there's been a lot of unease from everybody, diplomats, African Union officials, everyone based in Addis Ababa working on the African Union, that here we are, in Ethiopia, um, an organization that is largely dedicated to making peace, and yet we can't do anything about this devastating conflict. You know, so there was really a breath of fresh air, um, sort of a new um, lease on life for the African Union's, I would say, um, peacemaking efforts, because finally, on the 2nd of November, there was this agreement in Pretoria. It's ongoing. There are ongoing initiatives and visits to Tigray to make sure that the uh, peace deal is implemented. And that's another thing that we noted uh, as crisis group, that the African Union really has a reputation of getting involved in conflict Um, being successful, like in the Central African Republic and places, and then sort of dropping the ball, sometimes um, because of individuals that are no longer there or have rotated from their position, sometimes a lack of capacity and so on. So it's really, really important. And there was a lot of backslapping (laughs) and self-congratulation on um, the role of uh, the African Union in Ethiopia, and it's merited. Um, So I want to take a a step back um, and not and talk not just about the summit, but perhaps, um, you know, use this as as a time to to gauge the the, the state of the African Union overall. Um, it's been sixty years after the founding of the OAU, the Organization of African Unity, and twenty one years since uh, the founding of the African Union specifically. Remind our listeners what what was the original ambition of the AU, and and how did it hope to move beyond the OAU? Yes, the AU was created on the back of these many crises, specifically the genocide in Rwanda, where African uh, member states felt that they, you know, also stood by and had a tragedy happen. So when uh, the end of the 1990s came, the the 2000s, there were a number of meetings, you know, uh, Muammar Gaddafi was also one of those driving a new United States of Africa. You had these leaders from South Africa, Nigeria, Senegal, Algeria, Egypt, getting together um, and forging a new organization. That was the aim. The aim was very much on um, peace and security and um, non-indifference to crisis on the continent. And here we are now, 20 years later, I do think... Um, There have been significant progress, also to get a more efficient organization, 
younger people, um, more merit-based appointments. So that's definitely still work in progress. Hmm. What do you think have been the main sort of structural impediments to the African Union sort of fully fulfilling its its ambitions? And I should just say, it's not like the African Union is the only multilateral institution that struggles to fulfill its mandates. The uh, United Nations <laughs> comes to mind as a glaring example of this being very difficult, not just not just here. So, so, so what has proven to be the, the major challenges? I think the major political obstacle, the issue of sovereignty of member states. The African Union is not a supranational body. It's an intergovernmental organization. So no member state of the African Union has ceded any sovereignty to the African Union. So it can't impose its decisions. You know, a couple of years back, 2015, around there, the African Union um, Peace and Security Council wanted to intervene in the crisis in Burundi. And then in the end, it didn't. Burundi hit back very strongly and is supported by other heads of state. You are dealing also with 54 countries, 55 member states of the African Union. Each one has its quotas in terms of, you know, membership or um, having employees in the organization. You know how difficult it is when the six commissioners have to be um, elected and that's going to be in the two years time again because you have every region has to be represented. You have to get the gender balance right, which is uh, absolutely laudable, of course, and important. So so you have to get all the representativity uh, right in a, in a continent with so many member states. So institutionally, it is very difficult. And you sit with five regions, very different economic development, even different historical trajectory of how they got to be independent. Financing has been also a big challenge. Um, it is being funded by largely uh, European countries, the European Union, many of its operations. So the African Union feels that it's not really in control of in which direction it's going. But then, right, then you must fund the organization if if you want to be independent um, in terms of the programs specifically. Mm. I think that's a, this is... Uh, exactly where I wanted to talk about funding, because I think it's it's impossible to talk about the AU and its trajectory and where it goes from here without without talking about who funds it. Um, so you mentioned there that it's uh, that the EU funds a lot of it. Its budget is six hundred fifty some some million dollars. Just for our listeners, how how is the AU funded, and you know, and where does that come from? Yes, that is really still a very tricky issue, and a bit of progress was made after twenty fifteen when there was major decision about self funding. Its operational costs and its programs are um, funded around fifty sixty percent. So the operational sixty uh, percent uh, still is from international partners. So mostly, as I said, European countries, other funding, and then peacekeeping is almost separate. 100% of peace support operations at the moment are being run with outside funding. So the 2023 budget, 66,6% of the total budget is still funded by international partners. Um and that is, um, I mean, that's unfortunate. We are basically still at square one when it comes to self-funding the African Union. There have been suggestions on the table about 
every country or region levying 0.2% of imports from outside the continent to fund the African Union. There are mechanisms that ECOWAS, for example, uses for funding the ECOWAS uh, commission that uh, also look that that those are also levies but from my understanding that isn't all you know that's not a foolproof system that works 100 percent and as i said the peace fund is now almost getting there 400 million dollars was the aim and they've almost now achieved that and lisa what, what is the peace fund yes so the peace fund is a separate fund that was actually created way back when the african union was started but it was only relying on sort of voluntary contributions and then um in 2016 there was a rethink about the funding so this is uh, fund um, 100% funded by African Union member states. And it was almost part of a deal to the international community to say, right, um, it is very expensive. We can't fund it ourselves, but we are showing that it's our, in our interest to have peace uh, on the African continent. And so if you come with UN assessed contributions, so member states, all member states of the international community, contributing to um, peace in Africa, then we will pay a portion of it. And that is now what is happening. You mentioned earlier that the peace fund has, they say, up to $400 million in it. And yet the AU has only pledged $5 million to this East African uh, force. So, so why why the discrepancy? Why, why does it seem like such a large pot of money and then the amount they're pledging is, is still quite small? Yes, this five million is part of what they call the crisis reserve facility. So it's a first step. So five million will go to the East African um, force, and then another five million from the draft decisions. In any case, from the summit, is that that will go to the African Union transitional mission in Somalia that has got a funding gap there. It isn't a lot of money, um, but I think there is um, a sense that. There should first be um, a mechanism to replenish the 400 million, which can run out uh, very quickly. So this is really just a first, it's almost like a pilot project. So it's a cautious first step. Um, and hopefully going forward, there would be more funding for, I think there was never an idea that this fund would actually be able to fund troops um, and military deployments, but mostly sort of mediation, um, the offices of the the envoys of the African Union in um, uh, uh, conflict situations, that kind of thing that could then be funded by the peace fund. Hmm. Sounds like a, a maybe a, a cautious and small step, but still a very major one. Was there fear that the crisis in Europe? could be a threat to the AU's main source of funding? So across the board, the crisis in Europe uh, is a threat to to member states, to the African Union itself. And certainly the European Union funding, the African Peace Facility of the um, European Union, was actually scrapped before the war in Ukraine started. There's been a lot of discussion and um, European officials feel there was a sufficient consultation around this shift in the mechanisms of funding and that it won't have such a big impact on the African Union. But there is a lot of anxiety and I think justified going forward 
that uh, the African Union has had sufficient time to get its house in order, it must at least partially be able to fund its operations and its uh, peace support operations. So we are running out of time. Um, So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about Crisis Group's own set of priorities, which we publish each year, eight priorities for the African Union. Um, We won't talk about all eight here, but uh, our our first priority was very much about bolstering and and reforming the African Union institutions, some of which you've talked about, especially regarding the finances. But I just wanted to give you a chance to sort of outline our main thoughts about about what the AU should focus on internally in the year ahead. So maybe just very shortly, the eight countries in and, and crisis that we mentioned were Sudan, Ethiopia, the Great Lakes, Central African Republic, Chad, Libya, and then the Great Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, where we think the AU can play a role. Um, and then the first priority, or one of the eight, is the African Union's institutional problems. So because there is really a big expectation uh, in this era of global shifts, uh, shifts, that the African Union must play a bigger role um, and must lead the continent and speak on behalf of the continent, uh, as we said in the beginning of the discussion and all these multilateral fora. So it must um, get its funding uh, in order. It must conclude these reforms. Uh, there have been employee or personnel HR problems, if I can put it that way, with um, the merger of the political affairs and peace and security department, for example. We can't lose any of the institutional gains that were made in the last 20 years just uh, for the sake of reforming, basically. Um, And then uh, something we did touch on was the commitment to the AU's own decisions around suspending countries uh, that came, uh, governments that came to power through unconstitutional change of government, and generally just making sure that there is implementation of some of the key documents uh, of the African Union so that it is really yeah, fit for purpose in this, in this new global environment. Thanks, Liesl, um, and thanks, <laughs> uh, thanks for helping us dive into the African Union on this podcast. We look forward to, to having you back on again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll have a link to Crisis Group's eight priorities for the African Union this year in the show notes, or you can visit our website, crisisgroup.org. Once again, I'm Alan Boswell. The Horn is produced by Mae Francis and Ida Holly Nambi.